All right, good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we are here to study about why Christ has come. Christ has come is not just mere information, but it is an experiential knowledge that you give to your children. Father, we are not content on just knowing about why you came, but we desire to be a people who have ex- who experienced the very reasons why you came. And that happens when your word is faithfully preached. So Father, we, as we are going under your word, we pray for your power and grace, your transformative, persuasive, life-changing power to befall upon us so that we will see you as you are. All these things, in the name of the power of our Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are, for those of us, who have been who haven't been here for a few weeks, namely college kids. Hey, college kids are back! Yay! Um, we are studying. Uh, we're taking. We're we are on Genesis for like you know we started the series on Genesis, but we're taking a break from that in this season of Advent to study about the purpose of why Jesus came. And the reason why we're st- then and the reason why we're studying about the purpose of why Jesus came, it is that. It is hopefully so that through this study that God's going to use these words to make you see why he, why he came. And not only do you see, understand theologically why he came, that you'll be personally persuaded, right? That you'll personally experience the very reasons of why he came. Because life is really about cherishing Christ, right? Um, I sometimes listen to the Joe Osteen radio station. You think I want to feel good too, right? And, and I do. I, I have a serious XM radio because, you know, I'm rich. So, you know, I pay for my radio. And so I, one of the stations I go to is the Joe Osteen station. But whenever I listen to Joe Osteen, um, it just breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart. It's not because the lies that he tells. Um, and I don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think he's intentionally, you know, saying what he... I think he really does mean what he says. But what breaks my heart about his ministry is I think he's, he's missing the purpose of why Jesus came. And that's the tragedy of his ministry. He's a sincere, nice guy. He really is. Right? I think I'm the only, only pastor who's going to say Joe was a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. But the tragedy of his ministry is that he is missing the point of why Jesus came. And if you miss the purpose of why Jesus came, you cannot cherish Christ. Right? So in order to cherish Christ, not only during the season of Christmas, but in order for you to cherish Christ for all the remainder of your days, you need to, number one, informationally know why he came. Number two, you need to experience why he came. First, right, so you need to know theologically why he came. And not only theologically, you need to, have, you need to experience why he came. You need to experience the very reasons of why he came. Right? If, if our understanding of why he came is just information, right? if it's just information, without experiencing the very reasons why he came, then you can't really cherish him. Maybe some of you have gone to church all your life, and maybe you think you got the reasons of why he came down path. Maybe you think you know intellectually why he came. And maybe that's true. But if you have not experientially experienced why he came, you can't really cherish him. You can't. So I was like, I'm sharing my faith to my, you know, my my office workers, right? Um, a year ago, I joined the comp- the firm a year ago, 
And I was just looking for opportunities to share. And I was pray, prayerful of, you know, they give me the opportunity to share the faith. And now God had just opened that door. I'm, I'm sharing the faith left and right, right? And so I was like, I'm sharing the faith with my coworkers. And one of the coworkers asked me, he said, so, so let me get this straight. Are you telling me that if I agree with you of whatever you say, because I'm very persuasive. He said, I said, if, if, I, if I agree with you, does that make me a Christian? And I said, no. Agreeing with me doesn't make you a Christian. Agreeing with what I have to say doesn't make you a Christian. You need to be persuaded by what I, what I have to say. You need to start seeing life through the lens of the truth of, that I'm sharing with you. Only a life that is persuaded by the truth of why Jesus came. It is only that person who can cherish Christ. And you can see it in 1 John. When you see it in the first chapter of 1 John, John says, I write these things because I've heard it, I have seen it, and I have touched it. John is saying, I'm writing this letter to you, not only because I've heard the gospel, not only have I heard what Jesus is teaching, I've also seen it with my eyes and touched it with my hands. And that is why I'm writing this letter, John says. And he is explaining exactly what I'm trying to tell you. To cherish Christ, you know, it's not only enough to know information about him. You need to experience the very reasons why he came. And that's what we talked about last week. He has come to deliver us from sin, the sin and the works of the devil. Right? That's what we talked about in the last two weeks. And when you know Christ, when you're truly persuaded by Christ, when you truly see him as God, you really do start to overcome sin. It's crazy. You really do. When you start worshiping him, the, the problems that seem so overwhelmingly, the thing that, like, the issues and the problems that you thought you were trapped under, they slowly start to go away. It honestly happens, kids. It really happens. Him delivering you over your sins is not just a theory. It is a reality. I went to the Senateville small group. God bless that group. My favorite group, perhaps. Right? I always say that to every small group. It was such a great small group. Right? And we were sharing how God is delivering, right? Our, our, the pastor who did a wonderful job leading, he says, how has God delivered you from your sins? Some of you, a couple of them you shared. And how you used to be this way, but God is slowly delivering you out of that mindset. And that's true. Why? Because, because they're experiencing why Jesus came. Which is to deliver you from the power of sin. Is that your experience? If it is, you're experiencing it because Christ is doing what he said he would do. Cherishing Christ is not only information knowledge, it is experiential knowledge. But you can't really cherish Christ just by experience. You need information. You need the Bible to tell you, to interpret what the experience that you're you're experiencing. Look, people tell me all the experiences that they have. They tell me about the dreams that they dreamt. They tell me about the demons they overthrew. They tell me about the miraculous healings that they have. They, have, they I mean, they, they tell me about all these supernatural things. And when I listen to them, I go, hey, good for you. Praise God, right? But I'm here to say, because I'm almost 50, I'm here to say, if your Christianity is only about experience and you don't know the knowledge of why God came, experience itself will not make you cherish Christ. If it's just experience without knowledge of the word of God, you have a very strange idea why Jesus came. One of the, one, one of my best friends, he's all about busting ghosts. 
busting ghosts all the time. I go, why are you so obsessed about busting ghosts? Because I've experienced ghost busting. Okay? It's be, but to him, the knowledge of the Bible is secondary. Busting ghosts is a primary. Jesus has not, I told him, Jesus has not called you to bust ghosts. Right? If it's just experience and not true theological knowledge, you can't cherish Christ. Truly experiencing, valuing Christ is both. You need experiential knowledge and also theological knowledge. And that is why he came. And and that is why we're studying this. We're here to study why he came. And last two weeks we studied, we studied about the fact that he came to destroy sin and he has destroyed, he has come to destroy the works of the devil. Those are really good sermons, by the way, I must say. As I'm preaching it, I go, man, this is really good. So they're, they're all recorded in, I, in Apple, iTunes, and where are we at? Spotify? I don't know where we're at. And Joe and graciously uploads the sermons to our Facebook page. I'm everywhere, basically. Makes me uncomfortable. But if you missed the two couple of two sermons, go listen. It's really good, I must say. So we got the, what we're going to talk about today is Jesus, one of the main purpose, purpose that Jesus has come, he has come to make us children of God. He's not only come to um, destroy the works of the devil, he's not only come to destroy the power of sin, he has come to make us children of God. And we're only really going to study verse 1. How long can the sermon be if I'm only studying verse 1? Right? Right? Sean Kim knows. Let's see, let's see what John what John says. Verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so so we are. I wish you could understand, truly get the emotional expression that John is using when he's writing this verse. He's not saying, oh, okay, see what great love the Father has, that we're called children of God. Yeah, that's what we are. He's, he's not saying it like that. He's saying, see what great love the Father, the NIV says, has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God! Exclamation point, NIV! And so that is what we are. John is saying in verse 1, the greatest love that God has ever given us is, is, is making us, the greatest love that he has shown us, is making us, calling us, his children. The word see, the King James Version uses the word behold, see and behold. Like, the word, the, the most common I think the most similar way to express that in our, with our modern language. The word see and behold. He's saying, wow. Wow. See what great love the Father has lavished on us by making us, by calling us the children of God. He is amazed by this truth. He is just geeking out over this truth. Like the nerds geek out about Super Smash Bros. Premium. I don't know what that is, but they're geeking out about it. More so than that, he is just, like, just 
mind blown. What great love the Father has for us by calling us the children of God. Have you ever felt that way? Of being called a child of God? Do you know what John is talking about? When he says, amazing. That we are called the children of God. Has that ever experienced, have you ever experienced that? Or is your experience being called child of God? Yeah, I'm a child of God. What is it? Look, what is the best gift that you have ever gotten? Right? For me, I think I shared it before. 1980? I was what, nine years old? Christmas morning? Right? My father got me the Millennium Falcon Star Wars, like, this big Millennium Falcon. Like, you know the Millennium Falcon is a spaceship, right? You can, you can put like characters in there. There's a little chess piece in there. There's a little cockpit where Chancel and Chewbacca can fit, right? It's amazing. And when I opened that gift on Christmas morning, I went, wow. I received many gifts from that, from that moment on, but that's the best gift in my life. Don't tell me, tell my wife this. But that is the best gift of my wife. My children are okay, but that is the best gift of my life. It is so amazing. Then there are also the gifts that I got. Where you open up and you go, oh, that's nice. You know, it can be socks. Like one, one year, one year, like my, for my birthday, my wife got me that bag, the, my, my man purse right there. Right, she got me a man purse, and I go, wow, this is great. I liked it so much. Don't tell my wife this, right? It was just secret, right? The very next year, I got another box, and guess what it was? Another bag. A year later. And when I opened up bag a year later, then I go, wow, Millennium Falcon? I go, oh, eh, that's nice. And we fought a couple of hours later, right? But there are gifts. When you go, wow! And there are gifts. And you go, eh. Is it truth that the fact that you are the child of God, is it, wow! Or is it, eh. Let's be honest. Have you ever been wowed by the fact that you are the child of God? If you have not been wowed, I'm going to tell you, that is the precise reason for all your problems. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your issues are. Maybe it'd be unemployment. Maybe it is, I don't know, not having a relationship. Maybe, I don't know what your relationship is, but I'm telling you. The very core issue of the thing that you're going through is not the thing that you're lacking, but it's because you don't know how great it is to be called a child of God. That's the number one problem. So, example. I think I shared this example before. So there was this like, it's not my, it's Tim Keller's example. He said like, so there was this, there was this like, middle school kid, middle school girl, and, you know, or I'm sorry, high school, 9th, 10th year, 9th, 10th grade, I don't know how old she is. And then there was this like school dance, right? Homecoming dance when you're ninth grade. And she really was hoping that Billy would ask her out, right? Billy's so cute, freckles, right? Pre-transformer voice, hello, 
right? Very so cute. Hello. You want to go home with me? Right? Right? It's so, so cute. And she thought Billy was all that, right? Freckle-faced Billy with a changing voice was the love of her life, she says. And young Billy, that jerk, didn't ask her out for homecoming. And she was distraught, upset, crying. And she was a churchgoer. She was a Christian, supposedly. And she was crying on Sundays. <laughs> right? By the way, when you cry before me, the things that you cry about, they're legitimate, good, like worthy tears. Like, wow, when I listen to the things that you cry, cry about, I, my heart breaks. But you know, like, well, not not hers, right? It was just like little Billy didn't ask her out to dance, right? And, she, and the youth pastor goes, "There, there, tell me your problems." If it was Billy, and then he didn't ask me out. And the youth pastor goes, "It's okay. Jesus loves you." You know what? Are you you youth pastor gonna say? That's like Jesus loves you. And she goes, I know that, but Billy, <laughs> why didn't Jesus help me get Billy? <laughs> See what's happening here? Youth pastors gave her the truth beyond all truth. Jesus Christ loves you. She says, I know. But what does Jesus have to do with Billy? Why did the little girl say that? It's because she doesn't know Jesus Christ and his love. If she truly knew Jesus Christ, who he really is, and the great love that he has for her, Billy, the freckle-faced, voice-transforming teenager, would not be that great in her mind. (laughs) The problem with her she does not know Jesus and his love. And that's with, I'm telling you, that's with everything. Let's say your problem is unemployment. The re, if I, you, oh, un, you can cry that you're, you can tell me that you're unemployed and I say, but you are the child of God. If you say, I know, but what does God have to do with unemployment? That shows you. You really don't know who God is. And you really don't know what it means to be his child. Because if you knew what it means to be the child of God, if you are excited as John is excited about this truth, nothing else really matters. Everything will have its proper perspective. It is because you don't have perspective these little issues of life overwhelms you. John says in verse 1, the world does not know us because it does not know God. He's saying the children of the people of the world are, are not the children of God because they do not know God. He's saying being a child of God means having a personal knowledge of Him, of God. If you are truly the child of God, you will have a personal knowledge of who He is. The world does not have a personal knowledge of who He is. Therefore, they do not, they are, they are not the children of God. Can you see that? True children of God 
knows the, knows God intimately, personally. Let's specifically study what he has to say. Verse 1, right? That we are called the children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So John, John, John says, the, the reason why the world does not know us, first of all, is because it does not know him. What are you talking about? The word know that John talks about here is not just informational knowledge, but is that of personal, intimate knowledge. The people, unbelievers of your life, may have a factual knowledge about who you are, right? They'll know that you're you're Asian predominantly, or you know, if you're Sean, right, Viking, right, or right, and then you know, like you have certain information of where you went to college, whether you're married, how many kids you have, right. You may ha- you may like similar entertainment stuff, right? They may have similar factual knowledge about you. But if you are the child of God, they can't possibly understand you. Because who you are, what makes you tick, is fundamentally different from them. And I think that's true. Look, if you go to my firm's webpage, you'll see a lovely picture of me. Oh, that was a great picture. A f- professional photograph came, and I did... And I did a, like you know like modeling shot. Cross your cross your arms. Look at the camera. Tilt your body. Right. You're you're a co- you're a, you're a, you're a cheetah. Right. Something. So like they did a professional like like modeling photograph. And the picture that they like like I chose was a me doing this smirking like I know. And there's a big picture of me. My arms crossed. I know. Very confident, cocky. And my bio page. I'm I'm great. Right? Because you don't say, oh, I'm okay. Right? I'm, I'm such a loser. You don't say that in your webpage profile. You say, I'm great. If person, if people just go to the website and just look at that arrogant picture and, and that, you know, like bio pic of me, they're going to say, he's an arrogant jerk. Maybe I am. But just by reading my bio page on my webpage, website, it doesn't mean that they know me. Right? They don't know me intimately. And that's what John is saying. The world, even though they may have a factual knowledge of who you are, if you are truly Christian, if you've truly been born of God, if you're truly the child of God, they will not know you because what makes you tick is different from what makes them tick. The world cannot possibly understand you if you're a child of God. That leads to dating unbelievers, by the way. Side note. The reason why you can't date unbelievers is not so much it's forbidden, which it kind of is. The reason why God doesn't say, God said you shouldn't date unbelievers is because you're fundamentally different from them. What you live for, what you hope for, what you think life is about, the direction of your life. If you're truly a child of God, the direction of your life is righteousness. If you are not a child of God, the direction of your life is sin. It's fundamentally different. The world will not, the world, the people, the people, unbelievers will not know you. Because what you are is different. That's what John is saying. And he's saying the reason why the world does not know you, because you're a child of God, is because they do not know God. Unbelievers do not have a personal knowledge of God. It's not just merely informational knowledge. Unbelievers can have informational knowledge about God. Unbelievers can make, read the Bible. But unbelievers do not have the intimate personal knowledge of God. That's why they're not called the children of God. 
people who are the children of God have an intimate knowledge of God. Have a personal knowledge of God. That's how you need your child of God. A personal knowledge of God. Being a child of God means you have a personal knowledge of the name of God. Do you know that? In the the Bible, God reveals his name. He has different names. God reveals his name. Each name uh, uh, describes a different character of God. A true child of God knows the names of God and they personally, not only theologically know what the name of God means, they are personally persuaded by by the names of God. I give you a couple of examples because I'm a, I'm a believer in short sermons. I'll give you only a couple of examples. What is one of the names of God? One of the names of God in the Bible is Elohim, right? You know what Elohim means in the Old Testament. One of the main names of God is Elohim. It mean, and Elohim means God, right? And the and this name refers to God's incredible power and might. Elohim means I am sovereign. I am powerful. I am mighty. I am worthy of your trust. Unbelievers can intellectually know this. But children of God personally experiences this. How do I know? I'll give you an example. Last week after the sermon, right? So I was eating lunch, right? It was seaweed soup, right? I was eating a bowl of seaweed soup. Right? I was talking to Dr. J. Dr. J. I love talking to Dr. J. Right? And then one of the brothers, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna reveal his name because I'll get yelled at by the deacons if I do. He came. He was just simply sharing about the sermon that he listened to. And the sermon that he was listening to was about Revelation chapter 4 and 5, about the throne room of God. He says, I've been listening to this sermon, and the brother was describing what the throne of God looks like according to the sermon. God is sitting on his throne. The floor of his throne is made of clear gold. He can see everything. Right? He sees everything according to the time. We're used to sequential time. God sees time in just one event. Jesus Christ is next to him. Right? Angels are flying. There are thunders. There are smoke. Angels saying, holy, holy, holy. The brother was describing in detail the throne room of God. And God's power. When I was listening to what he has to share, I began to choke up. Because the throne room of God describes God's sovereignty and power and how everything is in the hands of God. And the brother told me, I listened to the sermon, and after the sermon, I realized nothing matters but God. And I say, that's true, brother. I was tearing up over a seaweed soup. Why? Because that brother and I both know Elohim is more more than a theological concept. It is truth. Our God is sovereign. Our God is mighty. He does everything according to His will. He's great. Children of God know this. Know this truth by heart. And when you see the mighty power of God, and you, when you look at everything else in your life through the lens of His might, your problems will begin to have perspective. How do I know? 
Something happened to my dad this week, week, and it's not good what my dad is going through. And my parents, my dad is my poor dad. And so I called my mom and I said, Mom, are you okay? And she says, it's not God's timing yet. The only comfort in my mom's heart in this ordeal that she's going through is she knows that my, that my dad's life is in the hands of God because God is mighty and sovereign. And that is the only thing that could ever encourage her. Elohim is not just a concept. It is a personal knowledge of the children of God. And if it is the personal knowledge of the power of God, what will bother you? Right? If you know all things are in His hands, what can possibly bother you? Another name of God. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. Right? The Lord is the Lord who provides for His people. How do we know? He provided Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. I said, like I said last week, the reason why Jesus went on the cross is he took the power and the consequence of sin with him on the cross. The thing that changes and binds us, the thing that we cannot escape, the power of sin, he takes it on the cross. And when God kills him, he kills the sin that he embraces. He kills the, he kills our sin that he embraces. And because he did, we are set free from the power of sin. Example I can give you. Little sidetrack. Harry Potter, you know Harry Potter? Right? You know how Harry Potter can kill Voldemort in the end? How did he do it? You guys don't know? Harry Potter had Voldemort in him. Harry Potter was a Holcrox, right? He had the spirit of Voldemort in him. Books 1 through 6, as long as they are, it's really about Voldemort's influence on Harry Potter. Because the spirit of Voldemort lived within him. Right? Because when... He was trying to kill, Voldemort tried to kill his mom, something happened, and the spirit of Voldemort just, like inadvertently went in him. But when Voldemort kills Harry, he kills the whole crux, right? He kills the dominant power of himself in Harry. And when Harry, Harry is alive again, the influence of Voldemort is gone. That's very geeky, by the way. The reason why people of God can live righteously is because, because Jesus Christ has took our sin on the cross and when God destroyed it, He destroyed the power of sin of our lives. Therefore, God, we become righteous. That's Jehovah Jireh, God providing for us, but rescuing us from our sins. Paul's argument in Romans chapter 12 is this. If Jesus Christ has done this for you, if God has given up His Son for you, if God has sacrificed His Son for you, will He not give you all things? If Jesus, if God has given you Jesus Christ, if He has truly died for you, if God has given, given His Son for you so that you will live, what will He not also give you? Is He going to give you His Son and not give you the good things? Rubbish! If Christ, God gave you Jesus Christ, he will give you everything that is good for you. Isn't that true? Including the bad stuff. It's good for you. It is. I have a sister here. We've been unemployed for like a, over a year. Like a long time. And so part of me says, Oh God, come on. How long? 
I've been praying for this person for like 12 months. Come on, hurry it up. And God gave her this job. As much as I'm happy that she got the job, I'm more happy because during that wait, God gave life in her. Though the wait was long, through the wait, true faith has started to take root in her. Unemployment was good for her. What he gives you is good for you. Because he's Jehovah Jireh. He provides. A child of God truly knows this. The child of God knows the name of God. A child of God is personally persuaded by the name of God. It is not just theological knowledge. It is everything. It is how they, that person sees everything. The world cannot know the personal name of God. Because they are not the children of God. Only the children of God knows His name. Do you know the name of God? Do you, is that, is, is, do you see him like this? Maybe the reason why the truth is that you are the child of God is eh rather than wow. It's because you don't know his name. I don't want to be mean, but perhaps that's the problem. Maybe the fact that God is Elohim, that God is Jehovah Jireh, that God is Yahweh, maybe all these names are meaningless to you. Because you don't know. It is natural for you not to know. Because that's how that's the condition that we're born with. All of us, once in our life, one way that before the grace of God happened to us, all of us are born ignorant of God. The only way that we can become children of God is if He calls us His children. That's what verse 1 says, right? He says, see what love, see what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Why does John say we are called children of God? He doesn't say we are children of God. He doesn't say that. He says we are called children of God. Why? Because I think the thing that he's trying to get is, it is not a natural thing for us to be children of God. The reason why he doesn't say we are children of God is because it is, a, it is not a natural thing for human beings to be called children, for human beings to be children of God. No, it's not. <coughs> human beings are called children of God. God has to call us his child, children, in order for us to become his. The word call conveys adoption. Maybe one of the maybe one of the reasons why you're not you're eh about the knowledge of the fact that you're a child of God is because you think it is a it is a very natural thing for you to be called a child of God. I think that's the misconception that people have. People think we're the children of God just because we're human beings. We think we're children. It's the most, we think it's the most natural thing in the world for us to be to be children of God. I'll give you an example. My daughter, God bless her, I'm glad that she's not here, thinks it's the most natural thing in the world for me to buy her gifts. Right? She says, I want this, I want that, and I want this. 
right? And they go, what? And she just like gives me a gift and goes, this is what I want. To her, a little bit spoiled. And the reason why she's spoiled is because it, she thinks it's the most natural thing for me, dad, the lawyer, to buy her these gifts. And these gifts, she's oh, very nice. They don't really mean much when she gets them. Why? Because it's a natural thing for her to get her. Get it. It's crazy. I gotta like do a better job parenting. That's the attitude. The reason why the truth of the, we're the child of God, it doesn't really move us, it doesn't wow us, is because it is, we think it's the most natural thing for us to be the children of God. If you even ask the unbeliever, hey unbeliever, are you the child of God? What will the unbeliever say? Yes, I am. Do you think if there's an unbeliever that says, hey, are you a child of God? They'll say, no, I'm not a child of God. No. They'll say, yes, I am. Hey, atheist, I know you don't believe in a God, but if there is a God, do you think you're his child? Of course I am. That's stupid. It is not a natural thing for us to be children of God, for human beings to be children of God. It's not. In fact, it is the most unnatural thing for us to be the child of God. And that's what First John chapter, chapter 3 is about, right? First John chapter 3, John clearly says, people are born children of the devil. Meaning, people are prideful. Prideful, not, prideful is not so much, I'm great. Prideful is thinking, you know, what I think is right and God is wrong, basically. We're prideful, right? We're burning with lust and violence. It's true. We believe about lies about God all the time, and that's true. And John says, if you're like that, you're a child of the devil. And guess what? All of us are born child of the devil because that's what we are. We're born with the understanding that we're right and God is wrong. We're born with the understanding that, you know, lust is good and violence is good. We're born with, with the incorrect understanding of God and we think that's right. John is saying fundamentally that nature is not God's nature, it's the devil's nature. So when we're born, we're naturally born children of the devil. Different nature from God. And the only way that we can be children of God is for God to call us His child. For God to adopt us as His child. That's the only way. Because naturally, we're so different from Him. John is wowed by this truth because he knows it is only by the grace and the love of God that he is called a child of God. Maybe that you are eh about the fact that you're a child of God. It's because maybe you don't know that it takes the grace of God to make you his child. I'll give you an example. One of the movies, one of the you know movies that I like is and movie that everyone hates but me. It's called The Prince of Persia. Have you seen Prince of Persia? But with Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Of course Sean saw it, right? Prince of Persia is about this guy who's a prince of Persia, Jake Gyllenhaal, right? And his, and, and his name is Dastan, right? He's a, he, Dastan is the, you know, he, the main character. And Dastan wasn't born a prince. Dastan was born a beggar, a street beggar, right? And one, in the beginning of the movie, he like, he tried to steal something from the king and he gets caught, right? And the king looks at Dast, young Dastan and how like, how like, you know, how, how spirited he is. In the beginning, the king says, you know what? From this day forward, you're a king of Persia. Persia was the greatest empire in, in the nation, right? He says, from this moment on, Dastan, you're a king, prince of Persia. And he invites Dastan to the palace, and from that moment on, that kid becomes a prince. 
only way Dastan became a prince is for the king to call him a prince. It isn't because Dastan was born, born a prince, but it's simply because the king was gracious to him. Being a child of God is not a birthright. It is God's grace upon a human being. How does God call us to be a human, to be, to be a child of God? That's why Jesus came. Right? Unlike the king and the prince of Persia, he just can't say, okay, from now, from this moment on, PJ, you're, you're a child of God. He doesn't just, he can't just declare it. Right? He just can't say, oh, you're a sinner, but okay, bygones be bygones. From this moment on, you're not that, you're my child. He just can't make that universal declaration. He can't. Why? Because God is holy. And he cannot, and if he deals directly with things that are, that are unholy and sinful, it makes him unholy as well. Did I tell you the story of World War II? The Germans, they went, they tried to take Russia, but Russia was too cold and too big for them, so they had to retreat during World War II. And in the, and as they were retreating from Russia, they were visiting towns of Russia, and they were gathering the Jews of each town, and they were like, killing them massively. Dug a big, dug a big hole in the town, got all the Jews lined up in, in the brim of the hole, they shot them, and they buried the Jews. And they did this as they were retreating. And a survivor, right, who witnessed this, said, I don't know what was worse, the Nazis who killed the Jewish people of my town, or the townspeople who just watched and didn't do anything. Just being okay with sin, it does, it makes, if, if God just says, okay, from this moment on, you're a child, alright, forget about your sins, I'll, I'll forgive you anyway, and just like ignores our sin. It makes God not good. Because if God is truly good, He cannot deal with sin. So in order for us to be righteous, in order for us to be a child of God, a price has to be paid. Then I hear this all the time. People, people tell me, why can't just God just forgive and forget? Right? Why is this all like Jesus' business? Why can't He just forgive and forget? Why is he so hung up on this thing? The thing that I'm going to tell you is this. The reason why you can say why God can't just forgive and forget sin is because I don't think you understand the horrendous nature of sin. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're married and let's say your spouse cheats on you. Right? And after she cheats on you, she comes to you and says, you know what? I'm sorry. Can you just forgive me? Are you uh, are you an unforgiving person if you can't? He said, like, you know what? You know, I, I slept around. You know, but you know, that was a mistake. You know, just forget, forget it. I'm still your wife. Forget it. Let's just move on. Husband can't do that. Because the nature of sin is so horrendous, it affects him, it changes him. He just can't forget it. There are sins that we can we do that just can't be forgotten and forgiven. Because there are costs, you see, 
Another example, I have a friend. He kills a kid. When he was 18, a couple of his friends got, like, because he was in a gang, stupid gang, like, you know, went to, went to one of the kids and, like, accidentally hit the kid with a steel pipe to the kid's head and the kid died. The kid who died was, like, 16 or something. Can my friend who killed that 16-year-old kid go to his mom and say, Hey, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm sorry that I killed your son. My bad. Can you just forgive and forget me? I'm so sorry. Oops. My father left me when I was a kid. I'm naturally a good person. Can you please forgive and forget me? Do you think a parent of a murdered child can forgive and forget? That is why Jesus, God cannot just simply call us righteous. In order for it to call us righteous, the penalty of sin has to be dealt with. You may not be cognizant of it, you may not be conscious of it, but there are things that we do and say and have done that are so horrendous that God just can't simply forgive and forget. That is why Jesus Christ came. When he took your sin on the cross, he took it so that the price of sin can be paid for. That's what the word redeemer means, by the way. He buys you, he paid for you so that you will live. That's what redeemer means. In order for God to call you righteous, your sins need to be paid for. And that is what he has come to do. And when you, when he truly paid for your sins, he gives you a new nature that we talked about last week. And your nature becomes the same nature as God. And because your nature becomes the same nature of God, you begin to hear God, you begin to see God, you become to want to be like God. Because He paid for your sins, you are righteous. And when you are righteous, God can be in your life so that you will see Him, you will start to hear His voice, you will start wanting to do and live like He, like, like who He, who He is. That's what John says, in him there is righteousness. But if you're constantly living in sin, if you're, if, if we are just constantly practicing sin, that's evidence of the fact that Christ really hasn't redeemed you. Because you still belong to the enemy. So the question is, are you a child of God? And the evidence of that being a child of God is you begin to see Him and you begin to know Him. If that is you, if that is happening to you, praise the Lord, He has redeemed you. But if your life is generally life of direction of sin, sin means I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, God is wrong. Right? And it's like maybe intermittent by awakening. Oh yeah, God is good, and yet you forget and you keep on sinning. That's evidence of the fact that you are not a child of God. And that is why you don't know Him. But Jesus Christ has come to change that. Jesus Christ has not come yet to, to, to condemn you. He has come to change you and redeem you so that you will know the name of God. Do you know the name of God? 
If not, you need to repent. You need to stop hiding from this understanding that you think you're a child of God because you're a natural human being. No, 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 no. Don't think that way. Honestly, are you a child of God because you know Him? If not, you need to repent and cry out to Jesus Christ. Pray. Let me know you through your word. You know what? He really does change you. He really does redeem you. Before it's too late, you need to be redeemed. Last point before we close. Very short point. What is burdening my heart these days? Is I want to, I think God's calling us to evangelize. I think 2019, I think we have to start reaching out to our neighbors. Right? And I think that's what, that's what the ministry leaders talked about last week. Should we make an evangelism team or something? And I said no. Because evangelism has to flow out from people who know God. If you don't know God, you can't evangelize. I'm really, I'm really sorry you can't. It's not enough to give someone a, a, a Bible track and says, believe this. No, no, no. It is a person who's persuaded by who God is. That is the effective evangelist. I'm here to say, if you want to be an effective evangelist, you need to be able to see God. You need to be able to be called, be called children of God. Ask God to make you His child through His Word, through the power of His Holy Spirit, so that God can use you to evangelize, to, to, to bring other lost people to Himself. Let us pray.